Mike, let's imagine you're packing for a day at the park or the beach. What's going with you? Well, if I'm in Galveston and the crabs are spawning, probably a wetsuit. Otherwise, some food, some adult beverages, nice big umbrella for my fair skin, the usual. Of course, there are many other things that I would not bring. This guy's just carrying a dead body around in his cold bag to show off to his friends. So just to confirm, you're not sprinkling in a mummified corpse among your adult beverages in that bag. Now, I can't say that's on the list, no. And I think he's using that spiritual girlfriend stuff to try to get away from selling remains and getting put in jail. I'm Mike Rogers. That is one of our producers, Chris Blake, and this is Something Offbeats. And Mike, this week we're looking into the story of a man in Peru who was found with remains estimated to be 600 to 800 years old inside a food delivery cooler bag. According to local media, the man told authorities he'd named the remains Juanita and described them as his, quote, spiritual girlfriend. The mummy is believed to be an adult male. So just to clarify, we're talking about human remains here. Exactly. I spoke with Mike Huberty, the founder of American Ghost Walks, to learn more about spiritual encounters and how some people cope with loss. Let me start by asking you about American Ghost Walks. Sure. How did it all start? What led you to start it? Well, I've always been fascinated with real paranormal stories. Growing up, you know, whenever when Bats Incredible would feature a werewolf or the haunted Toys R Us, I would get all excited about it. My sister and I would love it. We would listen to these haunted history stories that were on WGN radio out of Chicago when we were kids and they'd have Halloween had this guy named Richard Crow on. He basically started haunted history tourism as it is today. So we didn't have one, like we didn't have any many ghost tours in Wisconsin. My sister started one in Milwaukee in 2008. I started in Madison in 2010. And then I found out there's a whole bunch of cities that don't have these stories, Maple, St. Paul, you know, being just a couple of them. So then started writing stories in different towns. Um, and then things just kind of grew from there. Just about everyone has a fascination with the paranormal. Does it bother you sometimes to see the treatment it's given in, in different places, maybe in movies? Well, they have to fit a complex story in two hours or, you know, a 90 minutes kind of thing. So obviously they're going to make it more visually exciting. I just don't always like it when they play fast and loose with the facts or they try to emphasize certain parts of the story and they leave things out that may be really important. We were watching The Entity last Tuesday, and that is based on the true story of something that happened in Los Angeles in 1974. And this woman said that she was being sexually assaulted by an invisible entity that came into her bedroom, assaulted her, took off. And so she eventually talked to uh, these two paranormal investigators at UCLA, Carrie Gaynor and Barry Taff, and they were working under this lab. There was a, a parapsychology lab at, at UCLA at the time. And they went to her house to investigate, got all this kind of crazy evidence and stuff. And the attacks never really stopped, even though she eventually moved and stuff. The true story involved a woman named Doris Bither, who reported these assaults in Culver City. It inspired the 1978 book, The Entity, which led to the film of the same name. But in the movie... They have this like, you know, they, they set up this fake house inside the lab and they use like liquid helium to try to entrap the ghost and all this kind of stuff that's not 
you know, even remotely plausible in the real world, even though the basis of the story came from a woman was claiming to have these experiences happen to her. The researchers came to her house and they're taking, like they're seeing weird pictures, they're hearing things, you know, kind of backed up by, you know, her claims get backed up by some of the evidence that they find when they go there. They're, they're finding some real paranormal activity in the place. Hollywood takes that and they're like, okay, we're going to make this, you know, we're going to juice it up, get these sexy actors, have these things happen, big special effects. When in real life, some paranormal stuff did happen, but it, there's no big climax like there is in the, in the movie. Is it possible to prove or disprove something like that? I mean, is there, she says she's been sexually assaulted by a spirit. I mean, there's no forensic evidence, right? No, there's nothing left behind, so to speak, like there would be in a physical sexual assault. Going back in history, you also have this experience of night terrors where people have a trance where they wake up. There's hypnopompa and hypnagogia. It comes from the, you know, the words for either going into sleep or coming out of sleep. And you have these moments where your dreams kind of still see the things in dreams happening when you wake up and you're still kind of paralyzed from your, your muscles are still paralyzed from when you're sleeping, which is why we're not, you know, running around our bedrooms all night long when we're having nightmares and dreams. And you wake up and your mind's in that half state between waking and sleeping. Scientists typically call this phenomenon sleep paralysis, but Huberty says in Newfoundland, there's a very specific name for it, old hag syndrome. People would wake up and they, they would say they, they felt it and saw like an old scary woman sitting on their chest and they have trouble breathing and they were paralyzed. Okay, we'll connect that with sometimes that your body's checking its sexual plumbing and things like that in the middle of the night. And now you have this idea of the succubus or creatures that come to you and sexually assault you in your sleep. And these, these trances where people wake up, I mean, a lot of people attribute this to alien abduction stories, a lot of haunting stories, but they feel very real just as a dream often feels real. Chris, have you ever experienced a night terror or felt like you were being abducted in your sleep? I have not, and knock on wood, because I'm afraid saying this might trigger some sort of karmic response, but I typically sleep just fine. Every once in a while, I'll hear something so vivid that it wakes me up and I can't tell if it's real or not. But after I lie awake for a few minutes and don't hear anything else, I usually fall back asleep. What about you? You know, I get so little sleep, I don't have time to dream, which is good and bad, I guess. But back to Peru. These guys are drinking at the park. It's three guys drinking at the park. And then this delivery man is keeping a mummy in his cold bag, like where you keep the Cokes. He's keeping a mummy. And what I think is interesting is that the first thing he says is like, oh, I wasn't trying to sell it. So you think he knows he was in trouble? Because he knows that this is, a, this is not the 1800s or earlier, because people used to have mummy parties in the 1800s, they've had of unwrappings after Napoleon had conquered Egypt or whatever. He was bringing back, you know, mummies to the to Europe, and they were treating them like I don't know, like you treat a you know a skeleton from the Halloween store during you know haunted house season. So it wasn't really until the mid to late 20th century where people were like, hey, we starting to have respect for these. I mean, corpses of humans from the past. You sound skeptical. That it was his spiritual girlfriend? Yeah. Well, 
Okay. But it wouldn't be the first time that somebody had felt this way about a corpse. Even if he did become obsessed with it over time. In fact, Huberty told us a story involving a man whose relationship with a dead body went on for years. It happened in Key West in the early part of the 20th century. There's this German guy comes over, becomes a, immigrates to America, he immigrates to Key West, and he starts calling himself doctor, Dr. Carl Tonsil, and uh, he's a radiologist at one of the hospitals. And so um, he's got a family, he's got a wife and a child, but they're living like in a nearby town, and he's in Key West, and he's working at the hospital, and he meets this 22-year-old woman who has tuberculosis, and he immediately becomes obsessed with her. And this is in late 20s, early 30s, in the time frame here. And she's got TB, and he does everything he can to start trying to cure her. Like, he, he's buying her special things. He's taking her out. Dr. Carl Tonsler is doing, you know, he's, and he's 20 years older than her at the same time, too. And so, obviously, everybody thinks this is kind of weird, but she's a sick woman. And so, this guy is trying his best to, to help her. Okay. Where's the story going, Mike? Well, all right. She passes away. She eventually, you know, succumbs to her tuberculosis. But the, the good doctor can't seem to let it go. And so he buys a mausoleum for her above ground. And then he's constantly visiting her, the, the mausoleum. And then he eventually takes the body, brings it home reconstructs it with wire and stuffing and fills, you know, fills the, because the thing is our, our organs and stuff have all liquefied. And so he fills it full of clothes and everything and starts dressing her up and makeup and perfume. And she is now living this, the body is living with this doctor there. It's not totally dissimilar to the man in Peru who called the corpse his spiritual girlfriend. Except in the case of Dr. Tonsler, we know why he did it. He says that he has been visited by a spirit of like an 18th century countess that was his relative, Countess von Kozel, and then he would sometimes call himself Count von Kozel. And she had always told him that he would meet his soulmate and she would be a dark-haired, exotic beauty. And he said that this 22-year-old um, girl from Key West, she was that beauty. It strikes me as being like some people with their pets, where they do they get them stuffed afterwards. I did a story once on people who actually had sofa pillows made out of their dogs and cats' fur, which is that's really grim. Right. And you mentioned this. I mean, is this just? It sounds to me like it's just an inability to to let go. Right. So there's guys like Count von Kozel who really had this belief that he was dealing with the spirit of this dead woman. And that he was taking care of her and that they were living together. And then there are people who are just dealing with grief. You know, going back to, you know, there, there's stories about, you know, just from a couple of years ago, a woman in Belgium that has been married to her husband for decades. He dies there in their 70s. She kind of just leaves him in bed for a year and sleeps next to him. She just can't let him go. And so his presence there, even as a corpse, is comforting to her. There's a story about a uh, just out of the UK not too long ago, a guy whose wife died of cancer. He said he slept next to the body for six days and that helped him grieve. 
that he didn't keep it around for a year and he didn't try to, you know, hide it from anybody. He just said, I, I slept next to my wife's dead body for six days and it helped me get through the process of letting her go. What would you tell these people uh, that it's okay to have a spiritual mate, right? If you, if you think that's what you need, but don't take that next step. And we're talking about actual human remains, right? Don't be a body thief. <laughs> Like there's no reason for any kind of corpse snatching or anything, but this is part of the process. You know, we talk about where, so in Peru, where uh, this guy was caught, that ancient culture that did a lot of the mummification, why there are so many Peruvian mummies and everything. Part of it is they would mummify the people and some of them would make masks on them and everything. And they bring them out at celebrations and everything. Sounds like a bit of a weekend at Bernie's situation. It was like that dead person was still part of the family. And that's how they would remember them is that, you know, instead of burying them in the ground and going to visit them on Memorial Day or other days, you'd have them in, I guess, in the closet. And then you'd, you'd bring them out for a celebration. And that's how they honored their ancestors. And that was part of the that was part of the grieving process. What eventually happened to this guy? Do you know? Did once word got out, did, did he get in some trouble? Well, it's only been a couple of months. So this just happened in February, but according to the last article I read, it's like the Ministry of Cultural Affairs has this, what they consider an important pre-Columbian artifact because this, this mummy is 600 to 800 years old and they want to find the proper place where they can put this mummy with respect as to what, what's happened to the guy. I think he's still yet to go through the Peruvian legal process. Like, is he going to get fined? Is, you know, he just gave up the mummy. He didn't try to hold on to it or hide. He's like, don't take away my girlfriend. So what's eventually going to happen to him? I mean, also when they were interviewing him, he was at the park drinking. Like, so you don't know what's going It's not like he was prepared. He had like a handler to say, okay, now here's how you get out of this. Tell him it's your girlfriend. I mean, he probably had a few cervezas and he's just like, okay, uh, what do I say now? Adult beverages may have been involved. I think anytime you got the mummy in the cold bag, chances are she's sitting right next to a cup of Coronas. Oh my goodness. This is, this is something I guess, I guess the, the, the lesson here is you can have a spiritual girlfriend if you want, but make sure it's an actual spirit. Right. I'd say keep the physical remains where the physical remains belong culturally and appropriately and whatever whatever dreams and fantasies you may have as long as they're not hurting anybody else then best wishes to you guys i'm mike rogers thanks so much for listening to something offbeat this episode written and produced by lauren berry and chris blake with audio editing by chris blake original music by myron kaplan and editorial support from cooper mall and to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, we'd love to hear about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 